If you have your Bibles, if you open them up to Acts chapter 4, if you need an outline, it's right there, as I said before, at the ministry counter. We're in our series called Prayer and Fasting. We started this series two weeks ago, but today will be the last message of the series. This is the conclusion, and in a formal way it is, but we never want to stop, right? We never want to stop praying. We never want to stop putting Jesus first in our prayers, right? I mean, when we go to a meeting, we're to pray first, right? When we're going to have a discussion, we pray first. When we're going to have a, a, a detailed discussion, a heated discussion, we pray first. When we're looking to make a decision, we pray first. Whatever we do, we pray first, right? When we get up in the morning, we pray first. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 4, and we're going to go back there today, as I said, in Acts 4. Let me give you a little bit of background. It's always good to understand where it is in the book of Acts is what's going on. The early church was about prayer. It's all about prayer. You find in Acts chapter 2, they gathered together to pray, but not just to pray, the Bible tells us. They gathered together to study the apostles' doctrine. And the doctrine that Jesus had instructed the apostles, what it's talking about, when Jesus said to them, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And that's what they were doing. It all started now in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came. And uh, many people came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, right, on the day of Pentecost. And now they're devoting themselves, the Bible says, to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, to prayer, to Bible study, to understanding and teaching of the doctrine that's been handed down to them. And it seems very soon after that, in Acts chapter 3, two of the apostles, Peter and John, were going to the temple to pray. You know the story. I've shared the story many times. And they're going there, and there's this man there that's presumably probably been carried every day of his life to this place, uh, he could not walk to, in, in front of a gate beautiful before the temple. And he would be there every day to beg and ask for money. And, and if anybody would come by. And that day, Peter and John is coming by. So he asked them for money. Can you give me some money? And Peter and John, Peter responds and says, Silver and gold we do not have, but what he have we will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the Bible says this man stood Walking and jumping and praising God. Not with weak legs, wobbly legs, but he's jumping full strength in his legs, praising God. And everybody is thrilled. And it's a great opportunity for Peter to preach another message. And he does. And many, many people come to know Jesus Christ, their Savior. That the church is now the swelled. About 5,000 people are part of this church in a very short time. And so uh, it was a great opportunity. But the religious leaders there, they weren't really thrilled at what was going on. They didn't like what was going on, and they took these two apostles because it was the end of the day, and they put them in jail and for the next day. When the next day came, the religious leaders gathered together, and they brought up Peter and John, and they asked him one question. By what name or why, what authority did you heal this man in? By what authority did you do this? Now, they couldn't deny the healing. They saw the healing, so did so many other people. They couldn't deny this man themselves every day. They saw this man. He couldn't walk. They couldn't deny him. They probably knew his name. They probably had given him money, but they could not heal him. But Jesus could. So Peter and John answered, and I love this answer. It was not done, it was done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead that this man stands before you today. And I love that. He said, it was done in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified. You turned your backs on and crucified, but God raised him from the dead. It was done in his name that this man stands before you today and is healed. And the religious leaders didn't like the answer from them. They were very upset. But there were so many people in the city of Jerusalem that was all excited and thrilled about the healing. 
So they were afraid to come down too hard, and these two apostles, afraid of the repercussions coming back at them, that maybe they might drag them out and stone them. So the religious leaders said, they kind of threatened them, we, we don't want you to preach in the name of Jesus again. Don't do it again. And Peter and John responded boldly, said, we have to obey God rather than man. In other words, they said to them, we can't stop preaching in the name of Jesus. So the religious leaders were upset about that. They gave him more threats, but they eventually let them go. And Peter and John went back to the place where their friends were, and they reported to them all that had happened. And when they heard what had happened, the Bible says, they raised their voices together in prayer together. When they heard the good news, they raised their voices together in prayer. It is fascinating, their prayer request. Their prayer request was that they would speak about boldness in the name of Jesus and share the gospel message. And you would think about that, say, boldness, is that what you got you in trouble? But nevertheless, that's what they asked for, for boldness, and God gave them boldness. And the passage I want us to look at today is really a picture of the early church as a result of their prayers, as well as their commitment to the Word of God. When you add those two things together, things really start happening. When you have those two things in a church, as is an early church, in their individual lives, prayer, the people are really committed to praying and really committed to the Word of God, things begin to happen in their individual lives and also inside the church. Three results of a life of prayer that we see here. The first one, a life of prayer leads to boldly meeting needs. Boldly meeting needs. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. All the believers, anytime you see that, means the church. The church came together. The church was one heart and mind. Isn't that what every church should be? It says in Psalm 133, verse 1 through 3, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down in Aaron's beard, down upon the collar's robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. And what that is meaning is refreshing. How wonderful it is and refreshing it is to have unity, is what it's saying. That people would be unified. How does the church get to the place where they're in one heart and one mind? Well, I, I believe potluck dinners does that, like what we had last week, right? It grabs us together, right? And where we have fellowship together, and we get to know one another and, and have that commonness together, we come together. I think a couple of other things that help is they have a common theological foundation. Where they have one heart and mind. On the basis of the foundation is Jesus, right? That's the foundation that Jesus, of who he is, that he's the son of God, that he's God, and what he did, that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised uh, on the third day, and only salvation is found in that name. Have that com common theological foundation, and it's in Jesus. Have to have that. Cannot be divided. Can't let any else, any, anything else divide us. We have to have unity upon that. That's primary. Everything else is secondary and on down the list, but that's primary. That, we have a th solid theological foundation. I also think what brings unity as well is adversity. Adversity can draw people together because we have something in common now. That is to survive and thrive when adversity comes in our lives, right? We have to thrive and survive. How are we going to get past this? How are we going to get through this? We thrive and survive. That's what we have to do. I think another thing that brings in, uh, unity together in a congregation and people together is through prayer, that we pray together, that we pray together. In verse 32, it says, all of the believers were one, heart, one, in, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There are some who would say that this is biblical proof text for communism. But is it? Is it? 
communism is, it says, what you have is now your own. It belongs to everyone. And the government's there to enforce it, right? Communism. What you have at your house is not your own. It belongs to everyone else. And they can take it. They can have it. It's theirs too. That's not what this verse is saying. That's not what this passage is saying at all. They said these people saw their others who had a need. They saw with their own eyes. They took what they had to meet other people's needs. It was all voluntary. And isn't what, that what the church should be, that we are constantly meeting the needs of one another? That we come together and church is meant to be what I have is yours and what you have is mine. That we come together, not communism is all, all voluntary, based on what God does in our hearts. Isn't that what that is? It's based on how God moves in our, in our hearts. And God wants you and I to be generous, to have generosity to others, to look how we can help with others. Say, what I have, if I can help you, let me help you. That's the way God wants us to be. And it's how God is moving our hearts to do that. Not forced upon anyone. But God is moving in our hearts, and we're almost like compelled. God, I, I want to do this, that God changed our heart. I want to help someone else. I want to help them in whatever way, material objects. Maybe you're there for them, whatever it may be. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35 says, There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. When you read that, you look at that, that's what the early church was like. Uh, they had land, if they had houses and there was a need, it said they sold the land and they sold houses and they brought the proceeds to the apostles and laid them at their feet. And the apostles took those to help those who were in need. That's what they did. That's how the early church operated. So no one was without need. No one, everyone was, had everything they needed to survive and stuff like that. There was a challenge to that in the next couple of chapters, and God basically made some strong statements about that, how to do this and how to make this happen. And the early church did it, and it worked very well in the early church, that they met everyone's needs is what the Bible says. I mean, there were some complications, but they worked through that. The second result of a life of prayer, a life of prayer leads to sharing the resurrection of Jesus, leads to sharing about Christ. When we commit ourselves to prayer, Combined with the Word of God, as we're reading and studying the Word of God, God uses it and begins to change our lives from the inside out. That no longer we're thinking the way that we used to think, all about me, but we're starting to think about others. That we're no longer just living this life, it's about me. That my focus and my perspective are no longer about me, but it's about God and God's kingdom, what God wants to do, right? And we start changing how we think and, and how we're moving and everything that we're doing. And I love in verse 33, it kind of shares this. Verse 33, it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. The thing that strikes me out as I read this verse, you might want to underline it, great power and much grace. Great power and much grace is what it's talking about. So God's much grace was upon them, so God's great power was working through them. That's what was happening. God's much grace was upon them, so God's great power was working through them. And they were able to speak with boldness and share their testimony and testifying about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what they did. With boldness, because God's grace was upon them and God's power was working through them and able to do these type of things. And when I think about this, and you and I really try to understand, and how are we going to lead people to Christ? And hopefully you have that in your mind. How am I going to be able to share the gospel message with my neighbor? with my coworker, with those family members that don't know Jesus, in my community, or wherever I go. How are we going to share the gospel with a lot of people who desperately need to hear about Jesus, right? How are we going to tell? Are we going to tell our story? 
See, if we only tell our story, people will never get to know Jesus Christ their Savior. They're not going to come to Christ. So we have to use our story. We tell what God has done in our lives to break down the barriers so we can share his story, right? His story is the one that matters. That's going to change lives. And his story is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we share our story of what God has done in our lives to give us the opportunity to share about his story, what Jesus did for us, right? And then that breaks down the barriers. It's the same as when we had the baptism last week. People got an opportunity to share about their story, but inside of that story, they got an opportunity to share about his story, how Jesus had changed their life through the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what they did. And by, t- by talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are four words that make it very easy to use. It's not in your outline. Four words, and you've probably heard this before. The four words are really God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. Then we tell them about God, that God is loving God. God cares for you. He made you in his image. He wants to have a relationship with you. But because of the fall, because of sin, man is separated from God. You talk about man, that the Bible says man is totally lost, that we are broken people, that we are objects of his wrath, that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags before God, that we can do nothing to bridge the gap between God and man. Nothing. And therefore, we're eternally, eternally lost, is what the Bible says. Then you could talk about Christ, the Son of God, God, the gift of God to us. He came to this world to, to love us, to die for us, that he died on the cross for our sins, that you and I may have life. That's what Christ did. And then you look at the response. It's our response that we come to understand, and we have to respond, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus. That's how we must respond. So he comes very simply. Let me just simplify it even more. They tell people about God. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Man, but because man has sinned, they are separated from God and there's nothing they can do. Christ came and the bridge to get between God and man by dying on the cross for your sins and he paid the complete payment. Your response, you must respond what Jesus did for you by faith, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. That's the gospel message, guys. That's how we share the gospel, very simply, to share it with people who need it. And we say, how do we share it? The same way the early church did it, the same way they accomplished it. With the much grace of God is upon you, and the power of God is working through you, the same way. The same way they did it. Way back here in Acts chapter 4, the much grace of God was upon them, and the, the, the power of God was working through them. And God uses you in powerful ways to do what you cannot do yourself is to use those words and God changes someone from the inside out who you're talking to and they come to understand who Jesus Christ is. But it all starts, it all starts with prayer, right? And it all starts with you and I studying the Word of God. We can't go there and share with them about anything if we haven't prayed first and if we haven't studied the Word of God and know the Word of God. We can't go there and share with them. I want to tell you about Jesus if we don't know about Jesus. So we have to pray Pray before we share, and then we have to know the Word of God, know it enough to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And what I share with you this morning, just understand God, man, Christ response. There's the gospel, guys. Just understand that little bit. If you need to hear it again, the message will be online. Listen to it again. See, we don't know how long any of us have on this earth, do we? I mean, none of us know that. None of us know that. So we want to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. And because like us, Every person one day will have to stand before their creator. Everyone is going to have to stand before him. And the only thing that's going to get them through, the only thing is Jesus, is the righteousness of Jesus. That's the only thing. Not your righteousness, not your good deeds are going to get you through. 
Not you going to church is going to get you through. Not you being baptized is going to get you through. Not you giving money. Not you serving is going to get you through. The only thing that's going to get you through is the righteousness of Jesus. And the only way you receive that is by faith in Jesus Christ, right? Understand he died for you. And that's, what we, that's why we do what we do. That's why we take the commandment of Jesus so seriously. Go and make disciples. That's why you hear me each and every Sunday in the message somewhere, I include the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is so crucial that everybody needs it. Not just a few. Everybody. You could say amen. Everybody needs it. You don't just have to think, well, they're the only ones that need it. No, everyone that you come in contact needs to hear about Jesus. And they need to make a decision about Jesus. Everywhere we go, Everywhere you go, people need to hear about Jesus. Because, see, that day will come for every one of us. Every one of us is going to have to stand. And we have to be ready. They're going to stand before Jesus, and they're going to have to get an account. And we have to be ready. So everybody, everyone you come in contact need to hear about Jesus. They need to make a decision about Jesus. So when you leave here today and you go maybe to the grocery store, there's people in that store that need to hear about Jesus. You go to the restaurant, there's people in that restaurant that need to hear about Jesus, right? They need Jesus. Every one of them needs Jesus. You go home, maybe there's people in your household or in your family, they need to hear about Jesus. Your next door neighbor needs to hear about Jesus. You go to work, the co-workers, they need to hear about Jesus. They need Jesus. Everyone that you come in contact, everyone you see with your eyes, everyone you think about, they need Jesus. It's not the, you think they need Jesus? Yes, they do. You think God wants me to talk to that person about Christ? If that is on your mind, I can guarantee God does. If that even comes across your mind, should I talk to them about Jesus? Yes, yes. Because those people do not have a chance before the Creator unless they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through me, is what he said. It's only through Jesus. Amen? And so when we look at this, they said everyone needs Jesus. The early church took, took this very seriously. And they prayed and fasted. And so must we. We have to take this seriously. We can't think, oh, maybe somehow it act, it's going to happen by an accident. Salvation never comes by accidents. It's people intentionally sharing the gospel message with others, and God does that miraculous work from the inside out, right? But God uses his people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The third result of a life of prayer, a life of prayer leads to encouraging others. It's building others up. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 through 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The passage here singles out a man by the name of Joseph, but he went by another name that was more descriptive, the name of Barnabas, right? What we know about Barnabas, this man Barnabas, that he was a Levite, he was a Jew, and he came from Cyprus, right? And we know later on that he was in the church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem sent him to Antioch to go there and find out what was going on at Antioch, to find out if it was legitimate and according to the scriptures. And then we know later on, the story goes on from there, that Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul to bring him back to Antioch so he can help him to, to teach the people in Antioch. And we know from there that he went out with Barnabas, I mean with Saul, and they went on a missionary trip, right? We know that. Wouldn't it be a great for you and I to have a nickname where people come by and say, boy, you're, you're such a Barnabas. You're such an encouragement. Wouldn't that be a great name for all of us to, to have, that, that people look at you, that you're such an encouragement, that you encourage us, and you're Barnabas in our life? Uh, um, wouldn't that be great to have? I went to a conference many, many years ago, and, and, 
And in a man's message that he was speaking, he talked about Barnabas. And his argument was that he thought Barnabas was the most significant character in the New Testament outside of Jesus. And you look at that and you think, how, how could he think that? Because Barnabas wasn't even an apostle, was he? I mean, to our knowledge, he didn't even see the resurrection. It, we, we don't have a book that has been recognized or written by Barnabas in the New Testament. We don't have any of those things. So how could this guy say that Barnabas is the most significant character? Well, he laid out his argument. His argument was this. He said, if it weren't for Barnabas, you wouldn't have Barnabas going to Tarsus to find Saul, to bring him back to Antioch, and then him and Saul, Paul, being sent out on the first missionary trip in Acts chapter 13, and then Paul going on all those other missionary trips and reaching all those people for Jesus Christ, writing all those New Testament books, those 13 books, and also planting all those churches. So he said, if it wasn't for Barnabas, a lot of this stuff in the New Testament probably wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have Paul is what, what he was saying. That was his argument. Because Barnabas was a son of encouragement. He was an encourager. Encouraged everyone where he's around. And, and I love this fact. And the reason I love this fact, because I, I'm not an apostle. And I'm not going to write anything that anybody's going to read. That, you know, it's going to make any difference. I'm not going to do that. But I can be an encourager. And so can you. We don't have to write books that are in the Bible to be an encourager. We don't have to be an apostle to be an encourager. We don't have to have a title before our name to be an encourager. We can all be that. And what happens when we begin to pray and combine with the Word of God? What happens in our lives when we begin to do that? There, there begins a change to happen in our life from the inside out. If we're really sincere and we come and say, God, then I'm going to really pray. And I'm really going to read the, study the Word of God to understand you more, to know you more. God begins to change us from the inside out. And when we do that, we begin to meet the needs of other people. And when we do that, it gives us the opportunity to share our testimony about the resurrection of Jesus and, and to talk about those facts and how those facts about what Jesus did on the cross for us has changed my life, turned my life upside down and changed me from the inside out. Amen? And, and, and we have the opportunity to be an encourager to other people because I've been praying and, and I'm in the Word of God that God can use me. I heard a man once say this, to find a need and fill it, to find a hurt and heal it. And I think that's the way Barnabas was, don't you? That he was always looking for a way to, to encourage people. And I thought, we can do that, can't we? We can be encouraged to one another. We have the opportunity to be the hands and feet to other people wherever we go, that they might know Jesus, that we can be an encourager. And our encouragement is, man, I want to show you Jesus. I don't want them to think that, Doug, you're such a good person, you're encouraging them. But I want them to know the one, the reason I'm encouraging. Because me, by myself, I probably wouldn't be an encourager. probably be all selfish about myself. But because of Jesus, who lives in us, he's changed our lives from the inside out. And he causes us to be someone that we weren't before, right? And so we want to get all the glory to him. No, the reason you see me do this, encouraging you in these good deeds, because of him, not because of me, because of what Jesus has done in and through my life. That's what makes a difference. And if you are here today uh, and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, it all begins there begins by knowing Jesus and who he is and what he did for you. If you don't know Jesus yet, I would urge you and encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today based on the testimony of the apostles and their witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it changed your lives so dramatically from the inside out that they were no longer living for themselves, but now they were living for Jesus. And most of those men gave their lives for the cause of Christ. They died for Christ, right? And that's what boldness is. Boldness is behavior that is motivated by a passionate belief. That's what it is. 
And when the belief is the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then that will take you and I to our cross. Because the Bible says that every one of us, once we come to Christ, pick up our cross and follow him. That God has given us something to do for him. Not carry a cross and die on it, but to live for him. Serve him is what we're called to do. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, my encouragement is to accept him today. Don't put it off any longer. Put your faith and trust in him. Understand he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you and he died on the cross for your sins. And today, accept him by faith. May we as a church, through our studying of the word of God, through praying first, may we be, we be like the early church that we read about in, in the book of Acts, meeting each other's needs, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and living our lives in such a way that we're encouraging to others. We're building others up. But it all starts with us being committed to prayer and into the Word of God. Combining those together, guys, God will do something remarkable in each one of our lives and inside of our church that nothing will be able to stop us. That's where it starts. Prayer, dependence upon God, and reading the Word of God, and yielding to the Word of God, and watch what God will do, not only in your individual life, but inside of the church too.